John Henry, it's awesome to have you here. Like, <laughs> you. I'm so into it. Um, Thank you. This is a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. To yeah. a little, great chat. I really appreciate it. So, okay. Why Austin, Texas? Austin, for a number of reasons, COVID has just completely accelerated the rate at which geographic proximity and concentration is irrelevant to a large degree. I do still think that big cities have a place, will always be a driver of economic prosperity. However, like a lot of folks, you start to scratch your head and reevaluate the ROI of spending a lot of cash on a tight space and in tight quarters. And I'm born and bred New York. I love New York. But yeah, I'm in a new chapter now. I'm growing uh, a company that we hope to grow very large. We're looking for talent. So cost of living is a big factor on a living wage. And in New York City, to pay a living wage, you're in the 130K plus mark versus in Austin, Texas, it's 70 to 90. And that makes a big difference kind of when you're operating at scale. Plus the food is nice. The food is great. I love Austin. It's a, it's a beautiful place. Uh, it's a weird place. I go every year for South by. And so I led with all the tactical reasons, but the actual reason is just, I I've never lived outside of the East coast and I'm looking forward to a big change. Yeah. That's awesome. I've never been, I was supposed to go to South by last year. And then of course this mm. year. So mm. I'll come and find you. I'll come and knock on your door. Listen to yeah, please do. And having had a, a bit of contact with you prior and knowing that you're a, a person with a big heart, you're going to love Austin. It's just everyone's super nice. And if you love brisket, you'll love Austin. Um, and, if, and there's a lot of outdoorsiness too, which is a big draw for me as well. That's awesome. That's so good. It's so funny because we, we were just saying you interviewed me and now it's your <laughs> which I love. And I just want to know what turns you on? What lights you up? What makes that smile mm -hmm. like glow from the inside out as corny as that may sound? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, I like that because it's deeper than, hey, what do you do? Because these days we do so many things. But for me, I have ended up discovering through various ventures and past professional lives that I really view entrepreneurship as the great equalizer. I view it as I came from, relatively speaking in the States, a much lower income setting. We grew up below the poverty line. I'm the youngest of four. So there were six of us growing up in a one bedroom apartment in New York City. My mom and dad together made below 30,000. And my mom was a custodian. My pops was a presser and a dry cleaner. A lot of love in the household. It's just tight physically and economically. And I think that instilled the love for me of taking agency. You know, I think that every once in a while you can take what might be perceived as a bad hand and use it to groom the better qualities in you and initiate agency. And that could be done through a number of outlets. Like my brother has pursued film and really uses the arts as his outlet. And I've fallen in love with using entrepreneurship as an outlet, not only to improve my personal circumstance, but it's especially more powerful when you can lead with mission as well. And my last three endeavors have all had mission at the forefront and mission unlocks all kinds of doors that profit cannot. And so these days, that is definitely what, light, what lights me up. I've done it now with my current company in Loop and I did it prior at Harlem Capital and I did it before when I had a non-for-profit incubator. And I just believe in having a mission that's so heart driven and infused 
that it mobilizes people. Yeah. And it makes people want to work for you and invest in you and customers want to buy from you. And then you can hire more and just unlock a lot of liquidity in communities that maybe otherwise haven't had exposure to that. Yeah. I love what you said. And lately I've been talking a lot about leadership and thinking a lot about leadership. And we know that people follow leaders for a variety of reasons, but leaders that have a mission are going someplace. Mm. I want to hop on board that train. Yes. Mm. That's the train I want to be on. Not that train. That, that person's re really cool. I may want to go to a concert with them, but I'm all about that. That lights up my soul that I feel like, you know, I used to say to people, what gets you skipping to work during the day? <laughs> when you have the Sunday scaries, you know, like that ain't the place for you. Something's off. Mm. Something's but, off. You know, the alternative or no, the opposite of Sunday scares is it almost doesn't feel like work. It's just who you are. It just comes up from the soul, right? hundred percent. And, yeah. you know, these days I'm finding myself, it's interesting because at my last venture, Harlem Capital, we co-founded this venture firm that was investing in women and minority entrepreneurs. And it was everything that I ever wanted it to be. And we raised $40 million. We we're anchored by TPG and all kinds of wonderful things. And I still had to have that conversation with myself when I felt a departure from that skipping joyful feeling. And so it's interesting because you can be in a place where on paper and theoretically you're doing what you want to be doing, but if it's not eliciting that experiential joy and exuberance, then it's a good opportunity to question your underlying assumptions and say, okay, might this be a good moment to switch it up, even though it is scary to leave something that you've worked hard to build or whatever. So anyway, I completely agree that that exuberance as a compass is a wonderful formula because you're doing your best work when you're lit up and people around you can feel it. And it's not enough to be satisfied on paper. You have to be deeply in love with the work every day because you know it can get hard as you know. Oh yeah, totally. And the paper is paper in a way it's fictitious. You know, it's mm -hmm. a check, right? Until you have mm -hmm. Benjamins in your hand, it really is. <laughs> paper. Job description, while fantastic, then you have to live into it. You have to put life into it mm. in everything you do. And you've just got this phenomenal vibe. The times that I've seen you, I've seen you Thank speak, you. whatnot, it just comes out. And so, you know, your aim is true. And I think that's the one, one Thank you. I've always gotten from you, that authenticity piece, you know, that what you see is what you get. Thank you. And I, I feel the same of, of you and not only in what you emanate in the digital sphere, but also seeing you out and about walking through the halls of VaynerX, for example. I think it's, the, it's a wonderful observation when you don't know that you're being observed and you're walking through and just you, how you move through space and like seeing you light other people up at the organization that you're at too, I think speaks to that. So I couldn't agree more. And it's a wonderful space to be in. And I feel really privileged and fortunate, especially in light of the pandemic that has highlighted the fact that there are two uh, economies at work in our country. Mm -hmm. And I, I am very sensitive to it because I come from a family where immediate family members are in a harder circumstance. And so I'm running a company that's venture funded and I can make a lot of my income at home and I get paid to speak like a bunch of stuff that is fluffy and feels removed from work as I know it growing up. So it's like having a little bit of survivor's remorse in that, okay, there's a better circumstance I've built for myself. How can I step into that, own it? And the way that I've 
came about doing so is revering these opportunities with great respect and responsibility and being a great steward of the trust that's been placed in me. And then to tie it all in, mission is a great way to do that, in my view, because it keeps you grounded in work that matters for people that matter. Yeah, totally. And I think even in the little that you mentioned about like growing up, a lot of love in the house, but really had to seriously look at some pennies and put those together to get some food on the table. Mm -hmm. There's resilience in that, you know, and, and there's so much that can be birthed out of resilience. And you've chosen a path to, yes, of course, it makes your situation a little bit different, a lot of it different than some of your family members and some of the people that you see in health. Sure. But if you didn't do that, you might not be this right here. You might not exude what you exude because you'd be almost, you would take that survivor's guilt that you have mm -hmm. and you could take that survivor's guilt and you could actually like um, put your light out a little bit. Mm, exactly. And then you wouldn't be mm -hmm. doing this universe any good. Man, I, that is beautifully put, um, beautifully put. And I've considered those alternatives and shining, like living your life on purpose such that you shine brighter and could potentially illuminate the fire of others always seems like the better uh, alternative than meekness for meekness sake. Right. And I mean, I love, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your family and the nucleus that you grew up in because something happened in that was magical. Something happened there that obviously you saw, but you also, you know, felt picked up on that said mm. you ended up saying, I'm not going to dim my light. As a matter of fact, I got something. I've been given it by the universe, God above, whatever. And I'm mm -hmm. going to make this world better because of it. And it is, by the way, it is really easy for tons and tons of other people to be like limiting belief, limiting belief, limiting belief. Limiting sure. belief. I'm, I'm going to dim, dim, dim because I don't deserve it. Sure. And I'd love yeah. to know what was it like? I don't even know. What was the energy like that something gave you Aside from your, you know, genetics and, and who you are, something gave you that boost. Yeah, effort. I got that. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go yeah. and raise capital. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> the scariest conversation in the world for, for someone like me. Someone like you might be like, I got this. Yeah, that's a great question. And I thought about that too. There's a movie. It's the, the great film on Barack Obama's early life. It's called Barry. And I remember there's a scene where he's in the, he's in the projects with his with his buddy and he's walking Barack through the projects and he looks at Barack his friend and he says hey how is it that you can have multiple people in a mirror circumstance and this applies to not that's a, an extreme circumstance but any circumstance and you can have a multitude of outcomes but very similar circumstance it could even be applied within a family right same parents same circumstance same everything so I've I've thought about that a lot and I don't have a good answer. I can say, I, I do think that my mom and dad played a big role for sure, which is maybe not something as concrete as like a quick tip that I can offer folks. But I do feel like my mom made sure to say, Hey, you can do anything. Like she would always tell me you can run for president. And I believe that. And I do think that I will make a run at some point. Um, heard it here first on the Claude Silver show, but like First, it starts with that grooming. And then I took that. And as I grew in my career, I led with saying that I could do something far before I believed I could do it. Yeah. Yeah. Far. And, and even in most recent iterations, raising capital for loop was hard. And I had run a fund prior. It was still hard. And I was still telling myself, 
I can do it. And I told myself I wasn't going to raise a small round because I wanted to take up so much space that it was ludicrous how much we would go for and the valuation that we wanted pre-product, pre-revenue. And I said, we're, we're going to do it. And of course, there were times where you're like, shit, is, it, is this going to happen? I don't know. And in some ways, you tell yourself so much that you end up stepping into the belief before ahead of, or you say the words first, the belief steps into it. And then you start to become what you said you were going to be. And then, and that's a beautiful thing. That's it. That's how you manifest. We're so powerful and our words are so powerful. And you mm -hmm. say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take up space. And your subconscious is like, John Henry's going to take up space. Going, oh, okay. Okay. John Henry's going to take up space. Oh, the space may not come in the way he wanted. It may come over. Right. He's taking up space. Yep. That's that power of, and it's intention and how powerful Oh my God. You know, someone told me recently that 85% of what we tell ourselves, 85% of this voice in here is all negative. 85%. And out of that 85%, 90% is repeat, repeat, repeat. Right. And if we put a microscope in on your neurons in there and went into your right and left hemisphere, we might see, I don't know, maybe only 5% is negative because you've been able to, you're just wired that way, or you're like the little engine that could. You know, and that and, mm -hmm. for people that see you, that's gotta be, that's, I imagine not only is it great to just step into you and you have so much humility, which I love about you and you're a giver, like you Thank are you. about making this world better. And certainly for undernourished populations, I'll just say, mm -hmm. but for those people out there that are like, this guy can do it. Maybe I can do it. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. and what a beautiful legacy what a beautiful way to to walk through this world you may not even know that but i can guarantee you that there are people that are probably like that guy shit he did that sure yeah so before before i was ever an entrepreneur or anything i was a doorman yeah. and i dropped out of school and i was going to community college anyway and i was working this entry-level job and i remember i would justify anytime I saw someone was successful. I was working at, at quite an affluent building uh, on Wall Street, 75 Wall Street, and then later in Brooklyn, 184 camp. And anytime I would see anyone that was successful, I'd say, well, they went to school or yeah, they come from this place or that place. And it wasn't until I met someone that had that, you know, he spent time in prison, 19 years, and he came out and he still was able to do his thing. And he said, what excuse do you have? And it just rattled me. Sure. And so I... I love that I get to now take advantage of modern mediums that I've built the craft in, competencies in, largely due to some of the early work that I caught from Gary many years ago, got into it, became a practitioner, and now I have my own competencies and point of view that I can spread. But the cool thing is, I feel like we're meant to reach, when you lean into like your own story, you're going to reach who you're meant to reach that maybe other people are not specifically well-equipped to reach. And so coming from where I come from and not having a degree and what have you, it, it enables me to resonate with people that can relate to that. And to your point, yeah, I do think it, it helps pump people up. And yeah, there's a lot there. There's a, definitely a lot there, but I think ultimately being rooted in great intent. And then of course, the other half is putting in a lot of work to develop a craft is a big one too. I think, for example, like talk about someone shining bright and illuminating me seeing Gary 
it was so clear to me when I came across Gary in 2014, point to content being the way, it just like clicked for me. And all I needed to see was one piece of content that enabled me to say, okay, I got to do this. And then that enabled me to go out there, do my thing. And who knows what content you or I have put out that have nurtured someone to say, you know, I got to do whatever that thing is for them. So it's kind of a cool hub and spoke. It is because then, yeah, exactly. You've taken a a piece of Gary's playbook. I obviously have taken a piece. You've created the JH. I've created the CHO, CAS. And there's a lot of other. So I want to go back to the doorman piece because I'm fascinated. By the way, I believe (laughs) while I've never been a doorman, I would be a doorman if I had to, a doorwoman. Absolutely. Sure. I always say the things I can go back to if I need to is like, I can go bartend. I can wait tables any day of the week. I can be a barista. These are things like, it's Mm -hmm. good to know what you could do if you need to, right? Sure. Sure. Like the doorman, I imagine you were in the uniform. Yeah. As in a uniform, suit and tie. I mean, that's a whole different, I I believe in hospitality in a massive, that takes service and hospitality to a, a very different level. Can you walk me through what that was like day one and day 100? Like when you put the, the cap on and whatever else and so forth and so on. And how are you doing next? Yep. Season? That's exactly <laughs> what it was. Opening that door, smiling. Hey, how you doing? You know, greeting. And, and, and I took it up. I was working a bunch of odd end jobs. I was a leather coat salesman. I was a bag boy, a dry cleaner. I tried to do MLM, like multi-level marketing thing. And I loved the doorman gig. I was for practical reasons, I was suited. Uh, so there's some esteem in that. And then I was also, I found it interesting to be interfacing with so many people from so many different backgrounds and paths. And it was certainly a little intimidating, but nothing like just being in the lines then. And I quickly realized that there were other doormen that had been there years yeah. that would not even go through the effort of memorizing the residents' names, for example. And so I learned that building genuine depth with someone, I learned that you can take a situation and get out of it what you decide to activate within that situation. So there were doormen that were there for a lot longer that would just go and occupy time and space. Mm -hmm. It's not enough to get out of a situation. So you can take that same circumstance, time and space, And if you put a little love in it, you can get out so much more than the value that was prescribed to you, which was X dollars an hour. And so that taught me to just show up with big heart to any situation. And you might be surprised what nurturing that depth can yield for you. So anyway, so that was like conceptually, but practically it was like opening the door. I was working the grave shift. So I was there from 11 PM to 7 AM. Uh, terrible shift. You saw it uh, all right there. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when you, that's when people came home and you could see who was stumbling drunk and stuff like that. And uh, which is uh, of course fine. But I remember I thought I wanted to be a finance person. And I, there was a resident who was a VP at a big bank and he came home with someone and she told me, Hey, you never want to be like this guy. Trust me. And that was a powerful powerful moment for me where I realized it's not a, you know, I stopped chasing resumes in that moment and I started mapping towards whom out there makes me feel good 
And I use that as a compass for a blueprint that I wanted to emulate. Right. And that's actually when I discovered that I did want to be an entrepreneur because I love the artists, a little too wonky for me. I love, I like the finance guys, a little too buttoned up and in the matrix for me. But then there was a certain persona that was like free. I felt that they were free, but I felt that they were sharp and I felt that they were living in their purpose. And I came to later put the word to it. And that was entrepreneur. Yeah. And that's when I knew I wanted to do that. So yeah, the doorman thing, opening up doors for people helped up to open up doors for me for sure. Yeah, literally. That's like the title of your book. One of your many books. <laughs> I considered it. Yeah. That is so wild. And you know, I was thinking about the other doorman that had been there punching in, punching out, been there for years and years and didn't really mean anything. And then we know like whatever voices they're telling themselves. Mm are probably either preventing or assisting them in memorizing the names or not. It just goes to show you again, how powerful those voices are that we tell ourselves. Our surroundings, do people believe in us? Do we want to get out of a place that we're in? Do we want to better our life and thus better other people, you know, put food on the table, whatever. I think that's for me, human behavior is the end all be all, like the alpha and the omega because well, we're so similar, we all know, we all have a range of emotions that we've all felt. Sadness, fear, excitement, joy, love, lust, all of that. That's our common denominator, but how it manifests in you is gonna be different than how it manifests in me because of where we come from, programming, all mm -hmm. that stuff. And I just, I'm always fascinated when I am with people all day long, attempting to help them connect the dots and shine some kind of flashlight on their brilliance. Mm. Even if their brilliance, by the way, means you're not going to be here much longer. The brilliance <laughs> is that there's some self-awareness there. Here's your flashlight. Take the flashlight because you're going to go do great things if you're willing to take the flashlight and go inside. Mm. So, that's powerful. No, that's good. That's powerful. That's what it's, that, I think that is what drives me in many, many ways and what I'm able to do all day is, is not go raise capital. That's not my strength at all. And, and I know you do, you have a lot more strength than that, but like that takes- Sure, sure, sure. Mm -hmm. The knock on a door, some cojones to be like, what's our valuation <laughs> rate? I want 10X that. Thank you very much. Or to start a company like to upend the world of auto insurance, which I'd love to get into. Playing to your strengths is the one thing, one of the many things that I have solidified with working with, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk. Mm, mm. He knows how to put someone in the position where they will succeed. And not mm. only succeed, they will hit it over the park 10 out of 10 times, nine and a half out of 10 times. Wow. And it sounds like you found not only what lights you up, we've already talked about that and you're a mission guy, rooted in mission, but you know how to play to your strengths. And I'm sure like you're a young guy too. You might not have even found all of those things yet. <laughs> You know, that's just yeah. like life is, life is exciting. It is. It can be, you know, is it a privilege to be excited by life? I, it, you could look at it that way. And then you could look at it as this is maybe how it should be. But of course there's reality and there's all kinds of shit going on at the moment. But I do think that at a basic level, like if you strip away all kinds of political stuff and whatever, it's just like, yeah, get excited about something, even if it's small, just yeah. get fucking pumped. Because I've used that as a way to get out of a bad, any number of 
subpar situations. You get excited about something small and it just kind of fuels this thing. And anyway, I agree that plan of strength is crucial. And I think I have found how to do that. And now I'm learning how to set other people up to knock it out of the park. So what you touched on resonated with me because now I've realized that I do have the ability to play to my strengths so much so that I've been able to build a small infrastructure that largely revolves around me, but you can only grow, but so large if you have your infrastructure revolve around you as a center of gravity. So now I'm entering this new chapter where I want to take a way back seat and grow something that only can grow as a result of letting people do what they love and are good at and what have you. And there's a little bit of fear for me in that because I have to, the trade-off is you give up some control and there's a lot of trust that comes with that, which I over-index on trusting people, but what's that balance between getting results and letting them do their thing and having them be day one ready and the bottom line of the business is like, all right, cool. Like we have to produce results within X time. So what's that magic grace period that we give new hires or whatever? That's all the kind of stuff that I'm thinking through a lot right now. And yeah, I guess just inherently I'm going to become a chief heart officer, pretty much of a small company. So I think there's a lot that I can learn from you in that regard. You already are one, A, B, <laughs> offline about all that good stuff and the magic and the grace period and how to set someone up to succeed. And I think to your point it is like trusting first. Mm-hmm. You hired them, you spent enough time with them, you trust them. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that people don't need to be rerouted or to be mm. eh, just course corrected a little bit in those first whatever amounts of days, because they do, because only you're living in your vision. You need to be able to articulate it and not only articulate it to one person because not everyone hears the same thing. You need to be able to mm. articulate it. Maybe it's visual, maybe it's verbal, maybe it's literally like getting in the, you know, the weeds with people and being like, that's it, Eureka, just like that. And <laughs> mm. tell us like why auto insurance? What made you knock on that door? I mean, it obviously needs to be disrupted. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a weird door to knock on, I guess. I love getting into industries that I have no business being in. (laughs) So I think I was already moving in the direction of real estate, which is consistent with my theme of building generational wealth for communities of color. And then to just have a complete shift and say, all right, we're going to do auto, we're going to do insurance, which is a big financial services industry, touches so many people. But when you peel the curtains back, a lot of the the way that the sausage is made has a lot of outdated thinking. People are largely priced today based on their demographic data, largely. So it's your income, your credit score, your zip code, your occupation. If you didn't go to an Ivy League school, you get a ding. If you don't work a white collar job, you get a ding. If your credit is not excellent, you get a ding. If you live in a a zip code that has been historically redlined, you get a ding. If you don't drive a brand new car, you get a ding. And so all those edges add up and it ends up creating a reality where people that need reasonably priced car insurance the most actually get the highest rates. And when we looked a little further, we realized that the industry, as a result of the data that was available to carriers when they started, they built their models to proxy for risk. But now we have the technology to measure the behaviors that matters directly. 
So Loop is a vertically integrated insurance company. We reach our consumers directly. We insure you directly. We pay the claims directly. It's not a digital brokerage where we like have a cool tech layer, but then we sell State Farm. We decided to do the whole damn thing. I wanted to think so big that we had no business doing this. Daunting, operationally gritty, very complex. But we have this really cool technology that allows us to understand the, we can quantify road risk. So we know which roads are dangerous. And then when you download our app and enable location data exchange, then we know how you drive and what spaces you move through. And we're making the argument that that's really the only thing that matters. Mm -hmm. So for example, my mom or whomever who lives in a more like moderate income neighborhood, otherwise safe driver, never been in an accident will be priced 70% higher than someone who lives in the zip code next door. That's maybe more affluent, even though they may be a worse driver. Yep, yep. So what we're doing is we're going to build a big business in the blind spots yep. of big insurers, much like at Harlem Capital, we built a business building a brand around catering to underestimated founders. We built a brand out of understanding the problems that women were going after in communities of color were going after and where they couldn't get funding else, elsewhere. We were the first check in in a lot of cases. And so similarly, there are people that are unfairly categorized as high risk and are treated as non-standard and overlooked and underinsured. We're going to make you feel like a VIP. We're going to leave with love. We're going to build uh, a great business. And I think that, yeah, it's just going to be awesome. Just imagine an insurer that actively loves you and sends you a Starbucks gift card if you drive well, you know, things like that. I'm really excited. So that's what Loop is. And I'm very energized by this mission. I love it. It's so great. And it's really, I think it leads us, you know, the door I want to open next is the door that we've already opened, which is really this door of what's going on. It's inclusivity, it's inequality, it's racism. It's where we find ourselves today, mm. which is um, not pretty, mm. at all, but it is where we are. And I think back to what you just said a moment ago, which was life can be exciting. And is it, is it that you said a, something that will stay with me for quite some time? Mm. Am I entitled because I think life isn't exciting? Mm. That was really, I thought really powerful, by the way, it'll mm. with me for quite some time. And I think the way I digested that inside is that I think excitement looks different for each and every person, but we sure. are in a day and age that we have seen certainly people and our nation and people that we love, you know, with part basically yeah um, and, and to that point i feel like the george floyd inspired events to see that moment in the summer of 2020 for me made me realize that up until that point i always felt it was someone else's responsibility to address these structural issues that are not going away passively they can't it's so embedded that it must take intentional rewiring of the system or creating new systems and structures. And there's a lot of ways in which folks can go and, and have impact. I've been really proud of my friends. I've been politically activated and mobilized the vote and stuff like that. And this is large in part what inspired me to take on something like insurance because it's a really non-sexy, daunting, kind of boring space. But 
these systems, they're colossal. Like when you look at insurance, you look at banking, you look at media, the, the business that you guys are in, these systems that at a macro, largely like media shapes people's perception of themselves. And so it's really important to have advocates at high levels, like where you guys are to do your best so that whatever tone you set at the top makes its way through the plumbing yeah. and affects people in a responsible way. And same thing with insurance, something that people largely don't think about. The rules have been set by people that we're not considering you. And so the output is not going to consider you. And it goes down the line and it takes a structural overhaul. And I thank 2020 yeah. in a way for making the truth blunt. And 2019 was a time of overstimulation that can obscure a lot of things. But when there's nothing there when it's low tide you can really see what's there so yeah. yeah thousand percent you know one of the things that we've been doing at Vayner is i've been hunting high and low for a chief diversity officer mm. and uh, i think we found that person gary's gonna meet her and gosh i probably met 40 people by now qualified people coming from this and that whatever and and writing and rewriting the job description and rewriting the job description and asking mm. people like what would they do and it's it's been really it's been wild because you don't know what you don't know you just know that it's fucked up mm -hmm. and right after the murder of george floyd and the riots uh, happened that next uh, weekday i started something called courageous conversations at work where and this is primarily for our black and brown communities and it's me and it's our communities I don't have a lot of answers. What I wanted to do is provide a safe space and hold space for, you know, really emotional conversations and just emotion, which you can imagine was a lot. And especially like, what are you going to do about it? What are our numbers? What's the transparency like? Do we pay well equally? Fair, all fair questions across the board. Mm. And a very, very humbling thing happened to me, similar to the statement you just made about excitement and entitlement. Uh, one of our employees who had been with Boehner for years, eight years, maybe nine years, black woman, Dominican black woman, consider herself black, said in this meeting, you know, Claude, I've never been able to bring my whole self to work. She said, I've never been able to bring my whole self to work. And that wow. and I worked with her, like she's mono mono, like we're friends at this point, right? And it was such a moment for me in time. And it made my heart stop because here I am, white woman, got a great job, able to put food on my table. And then some, I don't have to worry about the color of my skin. And there's probably not going to be a day in this lifetime that I have to. And for her, even within our culture, which is warm and friendly and collaborative and self-aware empathetic mm -hmm. and all the, all the above. She'd been there for a long time, lifer. For her to say, I've never been able to bring wow. that to work. That was the moment where I was like, whoa, okay, A, we gotta get training in here fast and furious mm -hmm. and gotta start at the top levels and go down. But like, wow, I need someone who can partner with me to help these conversations and help people like her or him or whomever feel like if they don't want to bring their whole self to work, they can bring their best self, but it's under the difference is okay. And it's okay because we say it's okay because she said it's okay. Mm. 
powerful. Yeah. There is no place for otherness. I want to take this big ball of otherness and chuck it out the window. And I know that I'm not able to just do that on my own. Mm. But yeah, that was just a moment that got me out of my stupor of like, I know this is a problem. I've driven through the South. I know what's up, but I, I don't, you know, I can donate money, but I don't have to do anything about it. Sure. Like what the F are you doing, Claude? Like this is. Wow. That's yeah. powerful. Yeah. And, and I'm glad uh, your team member shared that because like we talked about before, we're like, you can consume a piece of content and never know the impact. I'm glad that that line was said because you were in a space to receive it and you did. And, and then kudos to you for activating it and turning it into a, a role in a hire that could now have a, have a big impact on, on a lot of people's day to day, hopefully, and how they feel and show up. And of course it's good for business long-term. It was also just good for people. So I think that that's great. It's powerful. And, you know, Gary obviously is like your biggest, biggest advocate. So yeah, I'm, Anyway, to be continued, I'll tell you how that goes when we... When we- <laughs> I'll be looking for the announcement. Yeah, I just saw you guys named Mark as your global COO. So that's yep. really cool. Yeah, and I'm signed to Vayner Speakers. So I work with Zach daily. I love Zach. And then from but, but like from time ago, like when I was running my incubator, D-Rock and Alex DeSimone and, yeah. and Trainac would all they all came to the incubator and did a little session and we hung out in Harlem and stuff like that. So... It's just been really fun to see and be a part of the ecosystem, like your guys' little universe uh, that is now a large universe and have, you know, come up in it and and contribute and uh, yeah, it's special. And like the DNA is still the same, 11 and a half years in. It's 100%. You can feel it. Yeah. And that's why for me, it's the greatest place that I've ever worked. And I want to ensure that this is the greatest career decision for anyone to make. Mm. Because the great thing about working with Gary and being independent is that almost everything is fixable. There's a remedy or solution for everything and it will always come down to heart, always. And it's been remarkable just to watch the conversations that I'm in, even real crusty ones, that at the end of the day, we go to what matters. And that's the people. And yes, of course, bottom and top line, the people 10 out of 10 times, you know? Wow. This conversation is so timely for me because, you know, I've, I've been a founder before, but this is the first time I really feel like a CEO. I have a co-CEO and it's the first time I feel like I, so I'm 28 now. I just turned 28 and I've been doing this since I was 18 and I feel like it's taken 10 years of building this infrastructure and saying that I'm this thing, I'm a business, I'm an entrepreneur and I have been, but I feel like I now actually am. And I feel the weight and the responsibility of being a really people-focused leader and a heart-driven leader. And this conversation could not have been more timely because I'm taking away some powerful lessons from speaking to you. So thank you. Likewise, likewise. Last question. Who's your spirit animal? My spirit animal? <laughs> um, Live, huh. four-legged, two-legged, one-legged. <laughs> My spirit animal, let's see. I think, um, I think maybe a cat. <laughs> <laughs> I, like 
I think maybe a cat. I've not grown up with pets, but I had a cat show up on my doorstep one day. A girl in my building knocked on my door whom I didn't know. She must have been up or downstairs neighbor and said, hey, this your cat's outside and I have a cat. And I peek behind the door and there's a little kitty there. And I took him in. His name is Cora. And he's been with me ever since, a couple of years now. And I've just, I love how curious uh, cat is. They're perceptive. They kind of can't be told what to do. They're resourceful, but they're still loving in their own way. Yeah. Yeah, You can throw them off the balcony and they'll land. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. You can throw them off any situation, circumstance, whatever, and they'll figure it out. And they have night vision. I mean, they're cunning and they're predators, but they can be loving. So I think a a cat has a lot of admirable qualities. What's your spirit animal? Oh my gosh. Let's see. My spirit animal is probably a dolphin or a horse. Nice. Yeah. I mean, a dolphin, just because they're graceful, they can breathe underwater. I think they're herders. They like their family, they glide, but like a horse is powerful, graceful, serene. I feel like a horse has a lot of humility. Mm, I agree for how majestic they are, right? They carry themselves so humbly. They really do. And by the way, they carry shit. They carry a person, you know, pack animals. I I don't know. I like a horse. I'm going to go horse today, dolphin secondary. All right. All right. I'm with that. And if my answer evolves, I'll let you know. But right now I think a cat's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good to see you, my man. Thank you. Thank you very much for spending time with me. In like Absolutely. In like the human way. I'm always here for you. And I'm, I'm so glad to know you. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. This is a, a great honor for me. And I'm glad that we could hold space in this very unique moment in time that is the beginning of 2021. And I think this conversation will age well. I, I look forward to referring back to this and seeing how all the things we talked about play out. Me too. Listen, I love you. Be well. Take care. Be well. Bye. Cheers.